0: RPN, The Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. All new starships in a larger size format and officially authorized by CBS Studios. Subscribe today and receive the USS Shinjo for only $9.95 with free shipping. For details, visit EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships.
1: Mission Log. A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast Episode 303 Playing God
2: Hi, thanks for stopping by Mission Log A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast
0: I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, playing God.
2: The one where a young, would be troll host butts heads with the old man that is the young female, Genzia Dax. Also, there's another universe butting into ours. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first. I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323 522 5641 is the phone number to call. 323 522 5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember. We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn things over to the Trivia King. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. John Champion.
0: Well, here we go. Trivia for playing God. The story is credited to Jim Trombetta. Now, we, of course, know Jim for having written The Forsaken, Rivals, The Alternate, and Paradise. This is actually his last writing credit on DS9. He will turn up again, though, in Voyager. He's just got one title there, which aired about a year after this episode. The teleplay is credited to Jim Trompetta and Michael Piller. So Jim did have a hand in scripting, but a significant portion of that credit goes to Michael. Using producer's prerogative, it was Michael who actually flip-flopped the thrust of this story, switching the positions of the A-plot and the B-plot. So in the original by Jim, the proto universe would have taken center stage and the trill plot line would have been secondary hmm. uncredit. Yeah. Hold that thought. Right. Uncredited script doctoring was by Jose Molina. This is an interesting little side note to the episode. Jose has since earned a number of writer producer credits on major shows like Agent Carter, Castle, Terra Nova, Firefly and The Tick. He actually went from Yale to an internship with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences because of a spec script that he wrote for TNG. So this is his only Trek credit, and even then it is uncredited, but that's how he got his foot in the door of TV writing and a foot in the door in the Star Trek universe. This episode is directed by David Livingston, again, very well known as a producer who then got his directing chops on TNG. We most recently discussed his directorial work on DS9 with the episode Rivals. Now, there is no way that I would have known this little trivia tidbit unless some very intrepid internet trivia masters hadn't done the legwork already. The chess game between Cisco and Dax is the replay of an actual game. In 1956, chess master Donald Byrne was challenged by 13-year-old Bobby Fischer. In what later became known as the Game of the Century, Fischer's unorthodox and improvisational methods allowed him to trap Byrne into checkmate in 38 moves. Of his victory at the time, Fischer said, and I love this quote, I just made the moves I thought were best. I was just lucky. Let's talk about the guest stars for Playing God. We say welcome back to Ron Taylor as the Klingon chef. Actually, it's the last time we will see him. And I'm really sorry because I like that guy. We have Richard Poe as an unnamed Cardassian. He actually does have a name, though. That's Gull Evek, and we will see him again. But wait, we've actually met him before. Gull Evek was in two TNG episodes, Preemptive Strike and Journey's End we will see him twice more in ds9 then on to one last appearance on voyager and finally we have jeffrey blake as arjun jeffrey has a lot of tv credits but really it's his feature film career that has some fantastic very recognizable titles he's been in multiple movies with tom hanks forrest gump apollo 13 castaway Oh, and there's another through line for Jeffrey's career. Look for more movies handled by either Bob Zemeckis or Ron Howard, like Contact, Ed TV, and Frost Nixon. There you will find more of Jeffrey. Oh, and one of his earliest professional credits is the movie The Last Starfighter. And he was in the movie Dominion, which has nothing to do with The Dominion, but they aren't mentioned in this episode, so I felt compelled to say it here. And finally, he worked together with Terry Farrell in the very short lived series Paper Dolls.
1: Playing God, starring Chief O'Brien as an angry god, Jadzia Dax as a conflicted god, and Benjamin Sisko as a straight up, all powerful god.
2: Two packlids walk into Deep Space Nine, and that's all we get out of them. Behind them, though, are Dr. Bashir and Arjun. Arjun is a Trill initiate, a potential Trill host, sent to DS9 for field training with Jadzia Dax. He's very nervous about meeting Dax, who has a well-earned reputation of bouncing potential hosts from the program. So imagine Arjun surprised to find Dax up late playing Tongo with a table full of Ferengi. Obviously not what he expected. Act 1. The next morning, Arjun arrives at Jadzia's quarters early, just in time to see a companion of Jadzia's say goodbye. She's not dressed. She wants a drink. And Arjun is surprised once again. Jadzia tries a bit of small talk with the initiate, something at which he may be good, though not with the elder Trill and his future in the balance. In Ops, Kira and O'Brien are hunting Cardassian voles, overseen by Commander Cisco. Blasted things are spreading all over the place, eating into electronics. Jedzia and Arjun arrive on a tour of DS9, and Sisko ribs Arjun about his bad luck. Field training with Dax is the worst, though Jedzia points out that that reputation was earned by Curzon Dax, not Jedzia. Flying through the wormhole... For reasons unexplained, Dax and Arjun have more time to talk. He's been studying up on her, which she says makes sense. But he needs to stop worrying about Dax and just get to know Jadzia. Curzon was horrible to initiates. Jadzia is not going to make this tough on Arjun intentionally. We learn a bit about both characters on the flight. Arjun's a Level 5 pilot, Dax is Level 3, and Curzon suggested Jedzia be bounced from the Initiate program when she was doing her field training. Aren't lives funny? This chinwag interrupted by shaking and beeps, and news that the shuttle thereon has hit an interphase pocket. The starboard nacelle is non-functional, and there seems to be something on it. Act 2. O'Brien and Kira are still working on the vole issue. The things are getting out of control. Quark even brings a dead one back from his bar. They're everywhere. Arjun and Dax are back, still with whatever was attached to the starboard and the cell attached to it. Jedzia plans to study whatever it is, because why not bring an unidentified thing from an interphase pocket to an often unstable habitat? O'Brien will set up a containment field. Over dinner at the Singin' Klingons, complete with a duet by Dax and the Klingon, we find out that Arjun doesn't really like Klingon food. So why didn't he say so? Jadzia says he really needs to speak up for himself while he's there. He says he'll try. We also learn that Arjun was sponsored for the Trill Initiate program by his now-dead father. He was a flight instructor, which explains Arjun's Level 5. It was Arjun's dad's dream that he be joined. He wanted Arjun's sister to be joined, though she decided to get married, and Arjun's father decided to never speak to her again. On the day he died, Arjun's father said to Arjun, I'm counting on you. The last words between father and son. Jadzia asks what Arjun's dad wanted for his son after he was joined, but Arjun says he doesn't think his father cared. Arjun being joined was his father's only goal. Jadzia asks what Arjun's goals are. He says he figured the symbiont would help guide him. Sure, says Dax, but you have to be strong on your own as well. Otherwise, the symbiont will override the host personality. Back in Ops, O'Brien's on the vol situation, getting no help from one of the former Cardassian inhabitants and a bit of humor from Bashir. He sends O'Brien a tin whistle, suggesting he play them out as the Pied Piper did the rats. Dax drops in to talk with Sisko. Her science experiment? That stuff they picked up through the wormhole? Still a mystery. What's not a mystery is Arjun. He's writing his father's ambition. He has no idea what he would do with a symbiont. Jadzia doesn't see how he would help a symbiont level up. But her job is not to confront him. It's to show him the ropes. While she seems to agree with Benjamin that he's not the best candidate... She won't be responsible for ending his training. She'll not do to Arjun what Curzon Dax did to her. Jazia says she made it through the Initiate program despite Curzon, not because of him, though Benjamin's not so sure. Also, that bit of interstellar seaweed Dax brought back to the station, it just exploded out of its containment field. Act 3 Cisco is no longer amused by the vol situation. They've eaten through enough power lines that O'Brien can't re-establish the containment field around whatever's expanding in the science lab. Left alone to study the thing, Judzia and Arjun talk over his future. He tells her he has thought about his future post-joining, though she doesn't believe him. She thinks he's just telling her what he thinks she wants to hear. She's worried he doesn't have what it takes to make it as a Trill host. So far in the program, he's anticipated everything that would be expected of him, and he's performed beyond those expectations, and from here on out, that will not be enough. Arjun says he feels a bit betrayed. In the runabout, she was all about being on his side, not wanting to make things as tough for him as they had been for her. She says this isn't about her. It's about him, about the standards for being a Trill host. Standards, says Arjun? That's rich, He says he's never seen anyone so far below those standards, and he understands why Curzon tried to terminate her training. And with that, he storms off. Also, that expanding bit of interstellar seaweed Dax brought back to the station, it's a universe. The proto-universe that, as it grows, is displacing our own. Genzia has no idea how to get it back to where it needs to go, so they'll set up a way for it to destroy itself. Though... It'll take out part of the station as well, but better that than having our universe destroyed by another one. In Quark's, Arjun is drinking away his troubles and getting the opposite of a pep talk from Quark. In the science lab, Dax has made a disturbing discovery. That growing universe? It may contain life. Act 4. Not that there's anything wrong with that, except now their plan to set it up to destroy itself may not be ethical. They have no idea how time works for the growing universe. The life on sensors may be intelligent. On schedule, the universe expands, blowing out a portion of the hull of the space station. In five hours, it'll do it again, taking out an entire section of the station. Tomorrow, the station will be gone. They need to find a solution, though Kira says they already have one. Destroy the thing! Does anyone have a better idea? Cisco says he'll give them his answer. In An hour. Still trying to drink away his troubles and quarks, Arjun is approached by Jadzia. She tells him more about her time as an initiate. She was quiet, unassuming, and an excellent student, top of her class. Basically, it all came easy to her until she met Curzon Dax. The two weeks she spent with him were the worst two weeks of her life. She cried herself to sleep every night. When he suggested she be bounced from the program, though, that's when she found her voice, threw herself wholly into the program, and passed with flying colors. So how did she end up with the Dax symbiont? When she heard that Curzon was dying, she requested it. She doesn't know why he didn't object. In fact, given his dark sense of humor, she thinks Curzon may have appreciated the irony. What she's had to do is figure out what being Dax means to her. Sometimes it's gambling. Sometimes it's wrestling. And sometimes it's giving someone like Arjun a wake-up call. To his surprise, she says she will give him another chance, but he has to figure out what he wants to do. Not for her, or for his father, or for anyone else, but for himself. Also, Sisko's decided what to do about the other universe. He wants Dax to take it back through the wormhole to where it belongs. She says she'll do it, and tells Arjun it would be good to have a Level 5 pilot along. Act 5 Needless to say, flying the universe through the wormhole is perilous. Also needless to say, they do it! Of course, Arjun's piloting expertise makes it happen. Back on DS9, Arjun's getting ready to depart. He apologizes for the way he talked to Jadzia in the science lab, though. She says it was the first time he was actually honest with her. He says she just wasn't what he expected, and she confides she's not what she'd expected either. Being a host isn't something that she would recommend for everyone, though in time, she says she might recommend Arjun for the task. I know what I have to do, he says. She wishes him luck, and as he leaves, she reminds herself that she's not Curzon. The End
0: Hey, uh, the Singin' Klingons, by the way. That Thank you. is a good, that is a good sounding band right Thank there.
2: you very much. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. reach back to the old uh, Kirk pronunciation for Klingon, because mm-hmm. Sing-On Klingon didn't work nearly as well as Singin' Klingon.
0: No, I like it. That was a good choice.
2: Reminded me a lot of the uh, Fishin' Musician. Do you remember him?
0: <laughs> I don't know that. No. Oh, it was what an old it was a John
2: Candy thing on uh, SCTV back in the day. It was the Fishin' Musician. Oh. And yeah, he would take. He would seriously take musicians out fishing. Like I remember one time he went fishing either with the tubes or with Fee bill of the tubes. I can't remember which. Okay. But it's yeah. like, and, the, and of course, the, uh, one of the punchlines was he couldn't stand fish. That was nice. It's like. <laughs> how do you like your fish you know he's like oh no i hate it never touch this stuff
0: it's terrible nice yeah oh that's great i don't know how i missed that i, I love sc so uh, mm. I, I gotta go back and find that uh I, i'm so glad and of course he mentioned the pack lids in the house yeah just absolutely. right up front and they were front and center just right at the top of the episode and that is one thing though that i i continue to like in ds9 in a way that we never saw in next gen and certainly not on tos is that it's crowded mm. there are always these people around and um you just see a multitude of aliens all the time which is expensive because it's all people you have to put into makeup but you always have aliens all the time not just like slapping some pointed ears or a little you know nose ridge on somebody you do a full appliance on many many people every week on ds9
2: which is kind of funny because oftentimes uh for your you know main alien who's going to be on the show it is just a nose ridge
0: right yeah yeah Yeah. but but here in ds9 we're seeing a lot of extensive appliance work
2: no but i mean yes that's true but i'm saying once people actually show up like if somebody's going to be your guest star of the week
0: yeah oh no no i know yeah then they they just have the most simple thing like a thing
2: on the forehead or maybe you know a skin condition right
0: (laughs) right I don't think you can call the trill spots a skin condition. No, You're no, thinking no. about the, uh, the the refugees. Yes,
2: yeah. I am. Yeah, whose names? Yeah, yeah, whose yeah. names escape me currently? But yes,
0: yeah. The the
2: Screens, Thank you. Called. That's because yeah, right yeah, I, I was going to say Skrillex. I was pretty sure that wasn't right. <laughs>
0: very, very different. Screens just shedding everywhere. Maybe <laughs> Skrillex does too. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. You don't maybe, know. Maybe
2: so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I really like the Klingon song with, with the singing Klingon. Um, and, and I was glad to see this character and his restaurant as a thing. We last saw him in Melora. And, and as I mentioned in the trivia, I'm kind of bummed this is all we get out of him because it just seemed like a thing that would be worthwhile to bring back. I, I thought the music was decent. I thought it was cool.
2: It's weird that we're going to lose him before we get Worf. Right? Wouldn't that be a yeah. place that you would think Worf would go? And the, and the yeah. thing is, it would be like this other Klingon who really can't give him grief because he's a fry chef. He's a cook. I'm sorry. He's not a fry chef, but like everybody else is always like, Oh, you have no honor. You uh, with the federation, all this stuff. And then Worf would show up here and there's a cooking Klingon who sings. Yeah. Also. Yeah. 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 It'd be great. They could maybe, you know, commiserate a tiny bit or at the very least tell jokes that the other one would get.
0: I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of the return of the Klingon chefs, so that brings us back to Racht, mm-hmm. which actually brings us to Konyaku.
2: Yeah, which is ghastly, which is terrible. Wait,
0: wait. <laughs> Whoa, no, wait a minute. It, it was a really, it was a really that terrible?
2: Okay, so here's the thing. I, it, yeah. So after people may remember when they listened to Melora, I, I mm-hmm. saw that and I thought, I have to try that. And I even wrote to you and I was like, what is that stuff called again? Because I am at a, 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 a grocery store that I, I suspect would have it. Yeah. And sure enough, once you told me, I found several different brands of it, actually. Yeah. There were a few different kinds and they all looked eh, vaguely the same. Now the problem is I have this thing where I will find a food like that and just like cook it. Mm-hmm. Didn't really read any, you know, directions didn't really read the instructions i just added flavors that i normally like with things sure and based on what it looked like i thought here's how i would probably prepare this and so i prepared it that way and uh, it was really not good okay. now <laughs> all right it's possible that all it was right. the way i prepared it i will grant you although i think i read something that said it could because i basically just pan fried it a little bit of um, a yeah. little bit of uh, sesame oil mm-hmm. a little bit of garlic powder i think maybe a tiny bit of uh, soy sauce i'm not sure
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it didn't taste terrible. There must have been something with green beans, maybe as well. I think hmm. French cut. Um, it was not the worst tasting thing ever. Yeah, but uh, the texture is the texture looks. You think to yourself, yeah, I can see how they use this as a worm on television. <laughs>
0: Well, that's just it. It's about the texture. Konyaku has very little flavor on its own. It's just right. there to pick up the flavors of whatever else is in it. But look, I'm just saying uh, when we do our Mission Log World Tour and we go to Japan, yeah. then we'll need to find like a Konyaku master That'd be fine. Who, can, yeah. Yeah, who can do this. Yeah. Here's
2: the thing. I'm out here actually maligning it. I feel like what I should really do is look at a couple of recipes and maybe try it again. Now, it's possible... Not a the, bad idea. The texture is always going to be something. It's possible the texture is always going to be something I'm not going to be able to get past. Mm-hmm. But I tried it. this actually raised another question for me, though. Uh, rocked. Yeah. And Rock to Gino. Yes. Made of the same thing?
0: I, I I hope not. I mean, they're spelled a little differently. Are you they? The uh, on to English translation. I'm going to say that they're not.
2: Okay. Because um, it seemed to me that it was possible that Rock the was a byproduct of rock, maybe, you know, juice of the worm or something like that. And if the two things were the same thing, it would prove what has often been said. Stop the rocked. Can't stop the rocked. <laughs>
0: You can't that's often that has been said. Yeah, often. I think that was right uh, that was by
2: Skrillex, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it was. Can't it was. stop the
2: rock. I'm pretty sure that was not by Skrillex.
0: Yeah. I, I, as we do often in this section, we talk about food and drink. Uh, just a kind of a, a contextual thing here in this episode. This growing proto universe will wipe out everything in a couple of hours. All right, let's take a minute and go grab a drink. Okay. Just gonna, we're just going to take a moment, you, you know, you, you got Arjun sitting there to sit in misery, and then Dax, who, who's really one of the only people who knows how to work on this problem, just like, yeah, well, we, we got a little time. I'll just, I'll stop by and say, hey, <laughs> are you holding up?
2: Well, I assume she was stopping by to sort of, you know, roust Arjun out of the whole thing, because even though she says it's not her job to make, th- make sure things go well for him, she is trying yeah. to make sure that things go well for him. As far as he's concerned, I mean, his whole life's over anyway. Might as well go drink. The universe is going to end fine, because his world's come crumbling down,
0: right? Yeah. Well, for him, yeah. I'm just saying that for Dax, it's like if you have a two-hour limit here yeah. before we have the, the next uh, uh, growth of the proto-universe— mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop by Quark's bar. I'm really, Arjun is going to be the least of my concerns. I'm I'm just going to be working on the whole proto-universe problem.
2: All right. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't really up to her anyway. It was up to Benjamin at that point, wasn't
0: it? That's true. That's yeah. true. But so. I would have Quark bring me a drink. I'm just, I'm not going to. Plus you know. it's synthahol.
2: So you just shake your head and you're, I mean, you know, it's fine. I say, That's true. You know, I say That's spend true. the time drinking, especially if you can just go and like, you know,
0: <laughs> not be drunk anymore. Yeah. yeah perfect.
2: One of my favorite things, as you know, naming the rules of acquisition. Yeah. 112, (laughs) never have sex with the boss's sister.
0: (laughs) That is a solid rule. Okay,
2: if you say so. What if if you really like her, though? Or what if she really likes you?
0: Yeah, I guess you gotta weigh out uh what your relationship is like with your boss. Uh, yeah, what your boss's relationship is like with his own sister or her own sister. Yeah. And uh yeah, you gotta take it from there.
2: I'm just saying this one doesn't seem as cut and dried as uh as, as some of the others have been.
0: Do other family members get their own rules?
2: <laughs>
0: so never have sex with the boss's daughter. Right. Uh you know i
2: don't know man i don't know we'll have to we'll have to read all of the rules of acquisition one day out loud Well, we
0: got the book to everybody listening that'll that'll be an episode perfect hey uh 130 mark 47 just had to slip in a little reference to 47 there at the end of the episode it's been a while it has been it has been uh though maybe not long enough for some um By the way, uh, I'm not that great at math. It was never one of my strong suits in school. But even I was able to sit there and kind of in my head think, all right, the wormhole must be like a few steps from DS9. (laughs) So that shuttle at the end of the episode is going really slowly. They they say it's going at 50 kilometers per hour. And then the next thing you know, we're 17 seconds from the wormhole. (laughs) So I actually I had to ask Siri, okay, how many miles per hour? Because of course we don't know from kilometers. Uh, Fifty kilometers per hour is about thirty-one miles per hour, and they are seventeen seconds from the wormhole.
2: So they're actually they're they're almost a stone's throw from the wormhole
0: you could fall out of a porthole on ds9 and end up in the wormhole
2: yeah you could and ds9 is such a crap place you almost could fall out of a portal
0: you could yeah particularly if you have proto-universes blasting holes in the walls that's true every uh, every couple of hours yeah um and are we sure by the way that they dropped off that proto-universe where it belongs Where they found it in the first place because it was kind of like a rift like a subspace rift thing and they picked it up i don't know if you can go find that again i don't know if you have to create that again if a it's bigger now and we're really not sure how it got there in the first place and they're like hey it's the gamma quadrant not our problem now this is like so far away
2: it's a whole i mean it's another quadrant but it's still the same universe it's kind of it weird, is. right? I actually Same thought, galaxy even. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Same galaxy, yes. Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. like a week from now, it's gonna be like uh station log. Well, that didn't work out the way we hoped. <laughs> right. Yeah, the other thing i I was thinking about too, it's like um they, they sort of tied that part up really quickly, right? It's like can we make the journey to the place we need to go? And then yes is the answer. And then it's like, oh, okay well, I guess automatically then it goes back where it was because it was a temporal whatever thing that they like hit it. I can sort of see like if they accident, if they were actually able to shove it back through exactly where they were supposed to. On the other side, there are a bunch of people going, we just got rid of this thing. (laughs) Right. That didn't work out again. You know, one week later on their side, it's like that, that just didn't go anything like we thought it would.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the people who are over there waiting to get rid of this thing. I like to think that this is just one of many universes that maybe these people in the Gamma Quadrant, they just keep cranking them out, and and maybe they're making them as trinkets to go on, like, that little uh, pug's collar, you know, from Men in Black. Uh, this is just one that, uh, that just got away.
1: What do Morgan Freeman, Alanis Morissette, and George Burns have in common? They have all been seen. Playing God.
0: We'll get back to playing with Playing God in a moment. But first. But first, a word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection. Hey, I have a problem. I don't have enough room at home to collect full-size starships perhaps you have that problem too well eagle moss is here to help you out with a collection of smaller ships that will conveniently fit anywhere in your home
2: what you're gonna get are just these really wonderful starships that fly straight in from uh from discovery the new uh, star trek series i guess you can't really call it new anymore can you
0: well, it is the new one. It is the new one. It is the newest one that is on. That's true. Yeah. Until
2: yeah. the Picard series comes out, and would be like, "Oh, that old series, of Discovery," that's <laughs> right. still on. Anyway, these ships are authorized by CBS Studios. They're made from uh, really just just these fine materials, uh, quality weighted materials. You see them, and then you hold them, and and you just you know get a sense for how sturdy and how how weighty these things are. As I say. They're based on the CG models used in the production of Star Trek Discovery, which is probably the best way to make ships from the Discovery uh, collection.
0: I I think that is a uh, I think that is a good decision on the part of Eagle Moss to do it exactly that way. Yeah,
2: I would say so.
0: And we're talking about big ships. Yeah, they're not one to one scale because where would you keep it? But they are still big. The USS Shenzo, for example, NCC 1227 is nearly eight inches from front to back. Now, it comes with a display base, perfect for displaying that model. And it comes with a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of the technology used on board.
2: The first ship in the collection, the Shenzhou, is available to subscribers for only $9.95 with free shipping. You can see that at eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships.
0: Now, additional models will follow, including the iconic USS Discovery, the Europa, the Corella, the Vulcan solcar class cruiser. New ships ship monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price, also with free shipping.
2: Subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over a hundred bucks, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. Now, if you don't want to subscribe, but you do want to pick up a ship or two or, well, however many you want, if you want to buy them individually, is my point, there is a way to do that. You can either go to your local comic book shop and see what they've got, or you can go online to shop.eaglemoss.com. You will pay the regular price of $54.95 for each of those ships.
0: But again, to subscribe, you'll go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And a huge thanks again to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Ken, I might have a few thoughts on this episode, some of which we'll have to save until the next segment, but uh, just a a few things that I'd like to clear up right away. Uh, Dax, Jadzia Dax, has this line uh, that she says, it's not my job to discourage him, talking about Arjun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kept trying to figure out, well, what is the job? i guess she says well, it's to show him how a joint trill operates which i thought sounds like a very passive thing like he's just kind of hanging out as an observer just sort of to see how all of this goes so maybe i got off on the wrong foot with this episode i i just felt like the the tension was a little uh a little manufactured and, and i'll just i'll put it this way like that blow up in the lab where where Arjun's really gonna tell Jadzia what he thinks? Um, I think my note on that. Uh, oh yes, it's right here. Uh, is garbage. Um, that, <laughs> Wait, that, that was, I'm sorry.
2: Your note is garbage, or what he said is garbage.
0: Uh, what he said is garbage. Uh,
2: okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Why? Why do you think it's garbage?
0: I just I, I, there was something about uh, these two and the the tension between them that I felt I, I felt seemed very false. To me, hmm. um, and, and maybe it was about how Arjun is portrayed. Maybe it was about uh, the gumbification a little bit of Jadzia Dax. Uh, but I, I just thought like a lot of it was uh, uh, said and not shown, told and mm-hmm. not shown. Um, so I, I never really bought the the combination of these two anyway. And, and here's the thing. I, I could see an interesting personality exploration about Arjun, you know the the meat of it is this interesting idea that that he's like some people who feel incomplete without someone or something else in their lives you know whether it's a spouse or a or a child or a whatever a, a job just something where where they they're just sort of searching for meaning externally the, this guy all he has been told that he is worth is what he gets out of this this supposed joining with the uh, the Trill symbiont. Um, and it's an interesting psychological idea to, to follow that it, it's tough to come to the conclusion that you are okay on your own. Um, and, and then when you get to that point of being okay on your own, that you'd be in a better position to share that with someone else, right? and he's kind of like some people that i have encountered before where where you sort of go okay well they're dotting all the i's or crossing all the t's but at the end of the day they're just sort of doing what is expected of them but you don't really know who they are you don't really know what makes them tick you just know that they're they're doing what is expected all that was interesting fodder to build the character but I think by the time we got to the end of the episode, I just thought, okay, well, well we're never going to see him again. I really don't know or care if he will become joined. And ultimately, what impact does that have on Jadzia Dax? And I'm going to say the impact will be not much.
2: Well, I mean, the uh, impact it has on Jadzia is, I mean, it seems to me a lot of this episode is about expectations, Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he expects Dax to be a certain way, and and the Dax symbiont may still be exactly how the Dax symbiont has always been, but he's dealing with an unknown that is Jadzia at this point. Yeah. Uh, honestly, though, what I thought was um, he should have a talk with Cisco, uh, by whom I mean Jake, because Jake mm-hmm. took about 10 minutes in last week's episode to realize that he doesn't necessarily want to do this thing that's been thrust upon him by his father. And he found that out when he was 15. Now, Arjun's uh, uh, father is a jerk. Mm I've never met the man. I've never (laughs) seen the man. But he is because it's like, oh, he always wanted his sister to be uh, joined. And then his sister decided she wanted something else for herself. And so the father just never spoke to her again. And then as he lay there dying, says to (laughs) his son, listen, there's only one thing I want you to do. Uh, it may involve losing your personality and also not actually thinking about what you want to do past a certain point. I mean, obviously he loves flying, but who cares because yeah. really what he wants to be or what he needs to be is joined as far as his dad is concerned. Part of the problem though is we 've never really gotten a clear idea of like what the whole trill thing is, right I mean, like we talked before about what a what a, a miserable place it must be, and we heard numbers this time by the way, about five thousand people yeah. want to be trill hosts. There are about three hundred symbionts available. Did he say in a year or at a given time?
0: I I, I guess I sort of inferred that it was a yearly thing. But, okay, but it, right. it could have been just at a time. Yeah.
2: Whatever it is, I mean, it's it's an obscene amount of people who want to play host versus the number of people or symbionts, excuse me, that can actually be hosted. And we've also never really gotten a clear idea. And I guess maybe they're sort of starting to flesh it out in this episode. But it made me wonder. If, if the, if the hosts have any idea of what they're getting themselves into anyway, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some people who seem to treat it like we talked last week about how some people treat priests. There seem to be some people who, who treat the, the combined, the joined, right? Yeah. Uh, almost like they're a higher level thing. And even Judd Z is doing it. She's like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure he's the right guy to level up another, uh, to level up a symbiont. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what? I thought that was like the height, except the height is no, they'll go on and do something else. All of which brings me back to him yelling at her. She's wasting her time gambling and wrestling and drinking in the morning. I mean, I get why he would think that because it doesn't seem like there is a clear idea of what this thing is. It's awesome. And everybody wants to do it. Not everybody, but lots of people, more people certainly than who can do it. And so... For him to meet her and for her to have feet of clay, um, I can see why he would be upset by that.
0: Yeah, he needs to chill. It's her prerogative.
2: Well, he does. That's the whole. That's what the whole episode's about, right? I mean, half. It's half. He needs to do what he wants to do, and also he needs to dial it back like by half.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is fascinating, and I, I love the exploration that we've gotten of the trill. Like, the whole idea of putting a trill on trial, as we did in, in uh, season one, because well, this was murder that took place that we think might have happened when this uh, uh, symbiont inhabited another body. Are they really responsible? How much influence is there from the host versus a trill? Like, all that is really interesting stuff, but it, it's kind of like – uh In a way, DS9 is treating Dax the way that TOS treated McCoy, which is, well, whatever we need this character to be this week, however much we're going to say is influenced by this part of this personality this week is how much influence we get from this part of the personality this week. Um, they, They kind of play fast and loose with that, but I'm better with that ambiguity here. Because it is an alien race, it is an an alien thing that we're dealing with that isn't necessarily for us humans to fully understand. This Mm -hmm. is a wholly unique situation, a unique life form with these combined personalities. Um, You know, it's cool last week that we heard Dax say, hey, after seven lifetimes, Mm -hmm. I find the, uh, the, the small talk boring. Well, that's the symbiont talking. That's not Jadzia, because Jadzia is only like 30 years old or something. So it's the symbiont doing that part of the thinking. Well, what about Jadzia at that point? What about the host at that point? Is that part of the mind just sort of shut off? Is the part of the mind that's a 30-year-old who maybe wants a little small talk, (laughs) that just sort of go off to the side then and let the symbiont take over? It's all fascinating, wonderful stuff. I just don't know that uh, Arjun was the best way to uh, to explore it.
2: The one thing that I wish—I mean, I wish there weren't so much almost magic about it in a way. Yeah. Like you know, we don't know exactly why somebody chooses. Like why? Like like how it is that whatever council decides, you know, pairs would be host with a symbiont right she asked for the dax symbiont the dax symbiont which you know when it was curzon dax it actually tried to drum her out of ever being able to host a symbiont Mm -hmm. she asked for that why how did somebody else decide that that would be okay and assuming that there is sort of like a leveling up process assuming that there's something that i mean like assuming that the whole point is to elevate The symbiont, right? Because it's going to go on. Jadzia is going to die and Dax is going to go on. Oh, who knows? Maybe to some grizzled old man, maybe to a Klingon. We don't really know what's going to happen to Dax after Zia. I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen to Dax after Zia. but let's move on
0: yeah all right we don't know
2: what's involved in like getting them to level up like how is it yeah that coming from across the old man into this 29 year old girl woman excuse me is going to be the thing that's going to level her up and is that necessarily you know what they should be aiming for anyway
0: <sighs> that was actually one of my favorite things though it was uh, her describing the uh sort of the delicious irony of dax the mm-hmm. symbiont going into this person that he had dismissed Uh, earlier on let me ask you a
2: question is is when you say Arjun is not necessarily the person to explore this with and maybe they didn't do a great job with Jedzia? are we actually Mm. dealing with a fathers and sons episode here or or a father's and offspring or a parent and offspring because Curzon sounds like an abusive father yes under whom Jedzia could have you know wilted or could have flourished and she flourished, Arjun wilted. Are we basically telling that same story? Because in the end, when Zio walks away and says, "I'm not Curzon. I mean, she is still Dax. They have the same last name, but she's not her father's daughter. Not that he is actually her father, but I mean, it seemed to me that that was the parallel that we were doing here that you can either that you can either, you know uh, wilt in the shadow of you know whatever is over you arjun becoming joined not because he wants to but because his dad wanted somebody to didn't even care if it was him just wanted somebody in his family to do that right and so he's going to do that thing jedzia on the other hand um having this he's obviously not a father figure because she's only known him for two weeks but it felt like that was the parallel that was being presented here Mm -hmm. having this abusive father figure and it rather, and then rather than um, rather than being cowed by it, you know, goes out and, and is stronger and ends up taking the mantle that uh, taking the mantle that would have been his or that was his, you know, until he uh, cacked.
0: I I would have liked to have seen a deeper, more full episode about that. Mm-hmm. Um. But but let let's move along because right? there are other big topics here to talk about. Well, the deeper we episode.
2: Yeah, The deeper episode that I wish I had seen, honestly, and I'm sorry to hear that this was originally how it was going to go, because I would have been so much more interested in that, mm-hmm. um, is the thing about the universe, the expanding yeah. universe and the intelligence. and And I'm wondering if the way it was originally written, if we had gotten some signal that there was actually intelligent life there, because they make quite the leap. Yes, Jadzia sort of senses that there might be life there. And they're all like, we can't destroy an entire civilization. Well, first of all, if it's a universe, fingers crossed, there's more than one civilization that you'd be destroying. (laughs) But second, we don't have any way of knowing that there is a civilization there. All that aside, though. Well, I guess not aside. I wish we had explored that more because. Yes. This is. Really a very Star Trek episode, it seems to me. I wish it had played the other way. What's going on with Jed Zia and that guy is really Star Trek. What's going on with the expanding universe is really Star Trek. They could be two separate episodes, and I think I would be happier if they were.
0: A hundred percent, yes.
2: And I'm not jumping to the end. It's just, I mean, there's, there's so much yeah. meat in that one little bit. Um, When when Cisco says, my mind keeps going back to the Borg, how I despise them for their indifference as they try to destroy us. Would I be any different if I destroyed another civilization to protect my own? This is so much Star Trek. And Kira is like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you know what we should do? We should destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded me of the way a lot of people wanted to actually. And and I don't think it was because Cisco was talking about the Borg, but it reminded me of the way a lot of people wanted to send a virus uh, back uh, with Hugh to destroy the Borg, right? Mm-hmm. But Hugh proved that the Borg could be saved. It didn't prove that they would be saved, but he proved that they could be saved. And so uh, they felt they couldn't do that. Um, the life in the proto-universe could be intelligent. We don't know for certain that it is intelligent, but it might be. And so that makes it worth saving, um, you know, makes it wrong to destroy that that nascent universe.
0: And I like how they upped the stakes there. You know, when when we were having that discussion about the Borg and about Hugh, uh, there were a lot of people who wrote in who and not a lot of it wasn't like this huge majority of people know they should have destroyed. Other, but but certainly some some strong opinions on that side. And that was almost well, it definitely was smaller stakes than this. Uh, the the Borg are living beings that are assimilating, doing their thing. That that would certainly disrupt our way of life uh, if they were to to carry out their plan of assimilating everything in their sight. This is actually the the potential of wiping out the known universe, <laughs> like literally replacing and destroying everything in the known universe. So you can you can kind of immediately go to that place that Kira does and say, oh. Oh yeah well if it's that imminent we should do everything we can to contain and if it means destroying this thing then just go ahead and destroy it let it happen we're wiping it out um so the 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 threat is even on a grander scale than uh, than what the borg would bring to us um but yeah but i i felt the same way as soon as there's any sign of life in that and by the way how does a transporter beam up a universe and then beam it back to another place i don't even want to wrap my head around that
2: don't even i mean then there's the whole problem of what do they do with it when they get into the gamma quadrant
0: exactly they they
2: accidentally picked it up by accidentally flying through something
0: right but
2: then they're like okay well let's just put it back where
0: (laughs) (laughs) i say i say beam it up keep it in the pattern buffer take that pattern buffer throw it out the airlock somewhere in the gamma quadrant. You just let somebody else find it later on. That's
2: a horrible idea.
0: I know. You can't but... just pass it on to
2: somebody else.
0: <laughs> well, they just did. They just did. They well, just probably. Yeah. In the gamma quadrant. We don't know. All right.
2: Um, so, well, no, hang on. So, yeah. so let's do the whole thing. So is our universe, it, <sighs> is Cisco right? Are we any better at that point? Like, would you destroy the other universe? The pocket universe, the small, the proto universe, would you destroy that?
0: I, I mean, the thought would occur to me. Sure. But yeah, but I, I think Cisco is right. Yeah, absolutely, Cisco's right. It, it, if there's something in there, potentially a, a, a civilization, I mean, Bashir and Odo are speculating this could be billions of years of the evolution of whatever is in there mm-hmm. passing for them as opposed to ours for us. The 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 right thing to do, and in uh, Cisco's place, the Starfleet thing to do is to protect that life, protect the unknown. Okay, uh, in that case, yeah. But
2: here's the problem that I have, um, and I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I wish they had gone ahead and even given us just a tech, the tech answer to how this is not going to end up destroying our universe, hmm. because the stakes the stakes really didn't seem that big. Honestly, because we don't know, like it, like if they don't make it through the wormhole, I mean, first of all, could they have just dropped it off in the wormhole since the wormhole sort of seems to operate in like a completely different, you know, space time continuum type thing anyway. I'm mean, sure it gets us from I, I one actually, part of space to another part of space, but could they drop it off in there and have it not even be a thing?
0: I, I thought about that. Like go through the re- here. You go, profits. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like your indifference. Huh? Chew on this. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I wish. I wish we knew exactly how it was they solved that problem, or I wish we even had like a fake science answer to how we solved that problem, because I'm not sure we yeah, solved the problem yeah. at this point. And so, eh, I don't know. Whatever.
0: Yeah. It's
2: it, if it, they had not weird. been able to get it off of Deep Space Nine, what do you do then? Right. I'm asking you.
0: Yeah, no, I, well, I, I don't know if you, if you can't get it off of DS9, if, if we're going to back ourselves into that corner, you can't get it off of DS9, but mm-hmm. keeping it on DS9 means destroying the entire known universe mm-hmm. bit by bit as it expands. I, I can you stop me uh, because
2: mean, cause they can still set it up to destroy itself.
0: Yep. Do you do it? I, ugh, man. I mean i i guess if it comes down to no matter what this will destroy the entire known universe unless you contain it and by containing it you are condemning this thing to death mm-hmm. uh i guess we're back to the question about you know pulling the lever on the uh the the railroad switch and uh, by action letting this thing happen that will mean this death if it means saving all of these others right. <laughs> Uh, It might have been
2: more interesting to have a fight between like two characters on our ship who see life hasn't been kind to Kira, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I don't I don't know on what she is basing her belief that this universe has to be defended. Mm-hmm. Unless it's just, unless it's just selfishness, unless it's just like the desire to, you know, to, to, to constantly survive, which I get, sure. but it doesn't seem like a well-reasoned idea. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I mean, it, yeah. whatever. It's all science fiction. It's all silly. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, so let me ask you this, though. Yeah. We, we had this, this, this argument, uh, with, um, Uh, uh, Kira and Odo in particular Mm -hmm. uh, after we've set up this other plot line about the Cardassian voles should we make anything of of a parallel between potentially killing off unknown life in this proto-universe versus killing off all the voles on board she says it's like stepping on ants and Odo says I don't step on ants okay but we're totally good with killing all those little bat rats because they go around chewing on uh, circuitry
2: Wow. Um, What's the likelihood they're going to evolve into something else?
0: Don't know. Give it a few hundred thousand years and uh, let's come back and check on them.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I think if you were talking about wiping out all of the Cardassian voles that ever existed ever Mm -hmm. or that exist currently, people might argue against that. But if you're talking about killing the ones that are chewing through your power, they're going to kill you immediately. To no mm-hmm. good end, because, you know, once they chew up all the power and life support is gone, they're going to kill themselves as well. Then my guess would be you go ahead and kill those individual ones just as Odo might. Well, Odo's a puddle of goo, so I don't know that he would do this. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, even the most, uh, you know, I love everything, I respect all life pacifist will, will swat a mosquito that lands on their arm.
0: Right? Yeah, because mosquitoes have it coming. I mean, of all well, species that need to be protected, let's just let's put mosquitoes at the bottom of the list.
2: I would think yeah. you would just do it instinctually. I would think you would just do it, you know, uh, yeah. as a reaction to being bitten. So, I don't think it's quite the same thing. I think if you were on like a galaxy-wide, you know, um, program to eradicate all the voles, that would be a different thing. Not that I think sure. they're gonna, okay. like, evolve to make a civilization, but they might. But, you know, uh, 10 of them or 20 of them or 50 of them that are going to endanger your life and ultimately their own lives to no end. Yeah, of course, you go ahead and kill those.
0: Yeah. I just I wonder if when they're on their mission to kill the voles on uh, DS9, does Odo stay out of that? It's like, oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't step on an ant. So I'm not going to I'm not going to kill the voles that are uh, chewing through our circuitry.
2: I can't see him doing that. No, I think it's more like. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I don't step on ants. Well, maybe you, you don't might. mean to step on
0: ants. Right? <laughs> <You might, yeah. laughs> not for
2: fun, you know, not for fun yeah. or, or profits.
0: Oh, sorry. Oh, Hey, there's one last little thing here. Jake's conversation uh, with his father about his crush Um First of all, do you think in any way that influenced Ben's decision? Because I thought it was an interesting and very thoughtful bit for Ben Sisko to say, You'll have my decision in an hour. Mm-hmm. What does he do? He goes back home to see his son. Mm-hmm. So there, there must have been something on his mind about I, I have to contemplate something very big here that could mean the destruction of where we are now or the destruction of this other unknown. I'm just going to go check in with my kid. Now, the conversation goes in a different direction, but but I I was wondering if there is anything intended about that interaction that leads to his decision. And first of all, I think that his decision is really the only right decision, because, again, it's science fiction. That's six minutes of screen time here and we got to wrap it up and we got to move this universe out of there before it destroys everything. But I I wondered if there is a point to that.
2: I don't know. I mean, I kind of hope not because I left it out of the recap. And if I miss something that was really Mm -hmm. big and important, then I feel kind of bad about that. Um, Your question reminds me of a Paul Simon lyric from uh, Slip, Slide, Away. I think it is. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a father who had a son. He longed to tell him all the reasons for the things he'd done. He came a long way just to explain. uh, He kissed his boy as he lay sleeping, then he turned around and headed home again i mean he's faced with everything ending right Mm -hmm. i don't think he's going to his son because that's going to inform his decision i think he's going to his son because the world may end and what he wants is time with the with the thing in his life that means more to him than anything else that's my guess
0: i like that yeah
2: so do i think it inform? do i think it informed his decision probably not but knowing that his decision could cost everyone everything he wants at least part of that time to be uh part of that time mm-hmm. to be with the thing he cares about the most
0: and, and by the way i know that we'll get to jake's crush later in the series that this is a, a plot line that will come back so I, I just wanted to save any discussion of that for then um but, but Ben has an interesting reaction, and, and I can't wait to kind of put that into context when she actually gets here as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing that I would like, though, is, uh, is Jake saying, well, can we invite her over for dinner tonight? And, and Ben just says, no, not tonight. Uh, we may have our universe destroyed and superseded by another universe, but if that doesn't happen, then for sure some other night.
1: Put the proto-universe back where it belongs. Maybe. It is time to see what we want from Playing God.
2: Playing God. Boy, it's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted uh, title there, because not only is Jadzia playing God with arjun's future but cisco is playing god with an entire universe yeah all right good <laughs> i mean
0: that's you, you nailed it that's, that's about it. it yeah i think that's, that's it.
2: it yeah that's probably all of it right there and the, even mm-hmm. in quark's little story actually um the boss uh, played god with quark's life yeah i meant to ask you about that last segment can we really quickly go back to that what do you make of Quark's story there He's like, yeah, I had everything. It was all going great. And then I yeah. blew it. And now I'm stuck in this backwater. Except we've always sort of been under the impression that Quark was actually sitting pretty. And, the, uh, see, and that, that Quark thought he was sitting yeah. pretty.
0: Yeah, that that's the thing. I, I, I thought it was, I, I thought the story had a little tinge of BS to it. Yeah. Only because we, we get the impression that Quark, Quark at least is the king of his little slice of life that he has carved out for himself there right and and if everybody if everything else falls apart well he's gonna get out of there with his however many thousands of bars of gold pressed latinum well, so
2: even that the grand nagus actually said that quark was well positioned to run everything granted he didn't mm-hmm. really want him to be the nagus but he did tell his son look this is what you want to be He's like, he's got his finger on the pulse of everything. Everything passes through here. He knows everything that's going on. Quark has to have heard the Nagus say that. And yet he's all like, ah, man, sucks to be here. What I really wish I was, was Nagus. Well, dude, the Nagus said, you're like, you're, you're, you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. uh, of course, the episode, it's, it's a part of the episode where we talk about the messages, morals and meanings and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up today. Uh, we start with that question. Uh, playing God, John, does playing God hold up as far as you're concerned?
0: Uh, not for me. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. And and here's the thing. I mean, uh, I I'm glad this was your week to write the uh, recap. Okay. <laughs> because I uh, I I found this episode just uh, uh it, it not entertaining to me. Um it, there were things about it that were interesting. And typically what'll happen is so if I watch an episode and if I have kind of a negative reaction to it, usually by the second or third or fourth time I, I've been able to key in on the things that I do like. Um, but in this episode I kept getting distracted by what I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, now now sometimes what will happen is that even if it's an episode that I don't like, if I'm the one writing the recap, um, it sort of forces me to pay even more attention and to dig even a little deeper, but uh, I, I just couldn't get into this one. Look, the idea of the expanding proto-universe is interesting, even if highly implausible, whatever. It's a, it's a sci-fi idea, and it's given about six minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we dealt with, you know, the potential genocide of a threatening force in Iborg with much more nuance and detail. And and I felt like we really felt it in this. It was an afterthought. And and that's why I definitely wanted to mention in trivia how the stories got flip flopped, because I think it's to the detriment of the episode. Um, And then on top of that, I just. Wasn't buying it with Dax and Arjun, uh, mainly because again, it, it felt like another dropped ball. If that had been an episode, and if really decided what we were trying to say, I, I like uh, Ken. Your uh, input here about really digging deep into that father-son relationship, or at least a parental relationship that has gone awry, that has gone wrong. But I, I felt like we barely scratched the surface of that here. Mm-hmm. Look, trills are fascinating and And we've done a good job of presenting them as interesting characters to make me interested in all the facets of jadzia slash Dax. The problem is, like I said we we kind of gumbify her a bit too much um when it's convenient, she's more Dax or when it's convenient, she's more jadzia uh or she's the memories of Curzon or or whatever that can actually play to the benefit of the story, but can it also kind of make things murky? Um, And also, I don't think she's out of line in the least in this episode, which just leads me to resent Arjun and not care if he becomes a joint trill or not. Um, So if at the end of the story I don't care, why tell that story? Um, I'm not convinced that Arjun really learns anything here uh like in the scene with quark quark is telling his story and dispensing advice like only quark can but but i just never really feel the relevance for arjun because it just seems like things don't sink in for arjun our arjun is very two-dimensional
2: okay see the problem that i have with what you're saying on that point is the same Mm -hmm. problem that i have a lot of time with deep space nine i'm not sure he stays in the program the, his mm-hmm. last line is, I know now what I have to do, or I know what I have to do. Which somebody very funny, either on Facebook or Twitter, I can't remember which, was like, and now he has to throw himself into the reactor. Yeah, <laughs> That's what yeah. happened on TNG when they said, I know what I have to do, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. It seemed to me that they were leaving it as sort of open, like, oh, so now he's going to redouble his efforts, and he's really going to be a joint trailer. Now he's going to go back and say, hey, nuts to you guys. This is what my dad wanted, not me. I'm going to go be a space ranger. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish they had kind of given us more of an idea, or maybe I wish that he had played it with a bit more gravitas in a way to me. I mean, the episode it's fine. I mean, I like the fact that it's, it's, it it brings us star Trek, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not one that I will watch over and over again. It may be one that I never watch again. I don't know, (laughs) but it's not offensive. Um, I sort of had the same problem you do with Arjun, except I can't tell if it's a poorly written character or a well-written character that I just dislike. Um, mm. He is obsequious, mm. though sadly not purple nor clairvoyant, which would be great <laughs> because then <laughs> ah, then we could be courteous, kind, and forgiving to his character, John.
0: <clears throat> and um, uh, go in a closet and suck eggs yeah we, yeah. Could, do,
2: we could do that as opposed to it's i mean it, it's not particularly compelling but i don't I don't dislike it i mean it's it it reminded me a lot of t n g honestly um mm-hmm. I don't feel that the jedzia character is overly gumbified if this had been the first time we had seen her play tongo if this had been the first time that we had known that she likes to drink, you know. I mean, I wonder sometimes if the way she is around uh Benjamin is not because that's normally how she's written, but because he is her superior officer i mean occasionally she she slips into the old man talk, right, yeah, but I mean he is the commander and she is a lieutenant, which I also don't quite understand because i mean how does uh, how does all that whatever with the trail that's that's confusing and difficult. <laughs> it's not particularly enjoyable, but I don't think it's bad. It's just not great in a way. It's not, it's not as compelling as you want it to be, I suppose, but eh, maybe it doesn't. I, I don't know. I'm so on the fence on whether it holds up. I like some of the stuff that it gives us to think about. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I wish it had been a different actor. No offense to that guy. Maybe I wish it had been directed differently. I'm not sure. There's just something about it. He is so obsequious that, that it's like, that it's, it's grating, but of course it's supposed to be. That's the thing. I mean, maybe it does what it's supposed to do, but we still hate it because <laughs> he's, yeah. such a, yeah. he's such a he's such a such a milk toast character. I don't know, man. I think I think I might be I think I might be on this episode's side, even if it's not the most enjoyable.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, and I don't look, I, I never want entertainment to just spoon feed me the the answer at the end. I, I, I never want it to just say, like, well, and especially with Star Trek, where you can play in this world of nuance. I don't think they just need to say, well, this is the good guy. This is the bad guy. This is the admirable person. This is the non-admirable person. Mm-hmm. But Arjun is just he's none of the above. And if only we had landed at some place where we could say, wow, this guy's really got to figure it out, or um, if I would even want to know, if I even want to care where he is in a week (laughs) or or, or down the road somewhere, uh, but I'm not left with that at all all at all and it's too bad because again and i stress the the trill are a fascinating idea Mm -hmm. and it's such a cool uh way that star trek gets to play with duality and beyond duality as we did with spock uh because he had the emotional side and the the logical side but here at the trill it's like well multiply that by a thousand because it's all these personalities and all these influences there um but it's uh it's a drop ball and it sounds like it was that way from the start of the production or from the start of the the development of this episode they didn't know where they wanted to focus and the decision to change the focus i think really hurts the episode
2: i would agree with that what about um what about messages
0: uh genocide is still bad Yeah. yeah okay um yeah, yeah, But but here's the thing, you know, again, focus the episode on that, because that really did feel like a TNG episode. Mm-hmm. And let's really dig into it. Let's not spend five or six minutes on it. Let, let's actually have a much bigger, broader conversation around it. And then I would go back to a thing that you've brought up before on this show, which is the idea of you, you can't live your life for someone else. You can't live someone else's life for them. I uh, Arjun, unfortunately, is so bland that it's not an interesting way to explore that to me. But, yeah, broad strokes of a character, somebody who is just sort of floating along and and trying to do what he thinks his father wants to do until he realizes that's not how I get to live my life. Um, yeah, that that's a good lesson, a good moral meaning message to pull from this. Uh, What else? Anything beyond those?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, I had pretty much the same thing. I think one of the reasons this show might suffer, actually, I mean, there are two reasons I think this episode suffers. First of all, most people don't. I'm going to use this term. Don't be angry. Most people don't have to watch Star Trek the way we do to do this show. Right. I don't think (laughs) you would be nearly as offended by this episode if you got to watch it and never thought about it again.
0: You're probably right.
2: But you had to watch it, you know, minimum of two times, maybe as many as four. Yeah. To do this. And so every time you're watching it, you're just like hating it more. That's my guess. Um, <laughs> the other thing right. that it might suffer from is the fact that we seriously, we're taking a whole episode this week to do what Jake did in five minutes last week.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Last week, I mean, last week we got lucky. We had the amazingly cool, like, here's the weird, trippy sci fi thing, and that's going to be most of the episode. And then also we have the after school special, you know, sort of like five minutes, you know, thing at the end of an episode of G.I. Joe thing going on with jake this week we're gonna flip those (laughs) and so (laughs) gi joe is gonna be fun for five minutes and then you're gonna have like you know the other 25 minutes be the part at the end where you really could do the holding in five minutes but yes i mean those are the messages um you can't live your life according to what somebody else wants you to do and uh genocide still not the way to go
0: mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry you can check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network at podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and the Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week,
2: Prophet and loss.
1: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. The trouble with playing God. He always wins. It does not matter what game. If you win, you know he just let you win. Seriously, it is not fun playing God. And transmission.
0: Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network